welcome to Church of the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. things in these, these, this word in James, he's saying, I want you to 
evaluate your own heart, yourself, and take note of what the Holy Spirit is saying that needs to change inside of you, right? And it's, it's, a, it's been an interesting journey. Today is interesting because it's going to talk about the tongue. In fact, when I look at our scripture here, you know, if you have those little like, titles at the top um, in your Bible, and not all Bibles have it, but it just says, Taming the Tongue. And when I read it, I was like, oh, this is a tough one. So real quick, before we dive in, I just want you to think about everything that you said this past week. Um, maybe there's a day that you could just focus on and just think, like, what is it that you said that had an impact? Now, I'm not asking if it was positive or negative impact, because it could be either. We'll talk about that. But how were your words perceived this week? Like, when you had conversations, how well did you communicate? What did you communicate? What was the impact of the words that you shared? Um, words that were encouraging, did they actually hit right? Words of anger, how did that go? How are those words impacting you right now? What did you hear this week from others that are actually still like here? Right? Maybe good, maybe bad. I'm just going to give you one second. I just want you to process that for just a second. Like, how did your week in words go? Starting in chapter 3, starting in verse 1, for those of you who don't speak Portuguese, um, I'll read it in English for you. Um, it says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So James is going to make this transition from last week. Where it begins with this idea from teachers. And I think if you look historically, James is, James is talking to the church. He's going to address teachers here. And he's saying, remember the responsibility that you have. There's a lot of passages of Scripture that talk about those of us who teach, the requirement that's going to be placed upon us, and the expectation that's placed upon us. In our world, it's changed quite a bit in our culture versus the times back here where Back then, teachers were kind of revered and lifted up and um, recognized as, like, professionals in their field. And today, we still have some of that, but when you look at the way that the world is functioning, we have this, you know, new phenomenon called influencers, right? You can ask somebody what they do for a living, they're like, I'm an influencer, and what are they saying that they do? Well, they influence people for something specific, right? Could be good, could be bad, but that's what they're doing. And I think that would fall into this as well. What, whoever it is that we're teaching, it could be a parent teaching their child, it could be a pastor teaching a congregation, it could be an individual expressing the gospel to somebody at a coffee house, it could be you and what you say on the internet that's attempting to influence. A teacher is just an individual who's trying to pass information on from one person to the next and influence them in a direction. And Scripture saying, Hey, be careful. Be careful what you're saying. Be careful what you're teaching. Be careful what you're endorsing. Be careful how you're um, displaying yourself so that people understand exactly what it is that you stand for. And then 
James makes this very clear that those who are influencers, those who are teachers, are going to be held to a higher standard. In fact, in the book of Matthew, it strictly states that one day everything that we have said is going to be revealed to everyone. Everything that we've said and that's been hidden, everything that we've said that we regret, it's all going to come out, right? At the judgment. And that's going to be a fascinating day. We're all going to love that day, right? So why does he start with this transition? Because it feels like a, an interesting place to go from last week where he's just like diving into teachers right away. And I think the reason that he does that well, historically, we know that he did it because what was going on at the church, there were a lot of false teachers that were, that were rising up in, in the church and it, 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 basically teaching a gospel that was no longer a gospel. And so he's trying to appeal to those individuals. Oftentimes, I think that individuals have um, maybe the gospel at heart. I, I always think of like pastors and churches like politicians in a way. And I know that sounds bad because um, none of us really love politicians, right? Unless you're a politician, I don't know. I always feel like politicians start probably with a good heart, right? Like they're like, okay, I, I desire to almost look at faces. I desire to um, do something good to serve my community, and I've been elected to represent my community. And then it's they get into the system, and they find that it's not as pure as they expected it to be. There's all of these other influences that are coming in, and eventually it kind of shifts from going from a servant to a job. And if you look at, I'm not trying to get on my political high horse here because I, but once it becomes a job, then your role shifts and your focus shifts to keeping your job, right? Instead of serving. When I say that's the same thing in ministry, I relate this to say, I train a lot of pastors and I'll tell them as soon as it becomes a job, you've got to get out. Like you, you have to get out. As soon as it feels like this is no longer an opportunity to serve others, as soon as you feel like you're in this position of trying to maintain your position or your influence, then it's time to step aside and let the next person step up and do it. Right? Because what happens is, as pastors, we can begin to chase whatever it is that's become a job with, and maybe the influence, we get addicted to it, we've all seen this happen. And then pretty soon, you start to begin to believe maybe the compliments that you're getting or your own press or the influence that you're having, and it can begin to impact your actual message to where the gospel doesn't become centered, getting people in the door does, right? Where culture can start saying, well, if I make this compromise, then this can happen. So I think the reason that he's beginning to say this is it's, yeah, he holds teachers to a higher standard, but we're all people of influence, and the question is, are you selling out for you know, something that's more you than Jesus? And we will be held accountable for that. He dives in after he talks to teachers a little bit, and then he says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. This is the beginning of understanding the power of words. And he makes a very, and it's written a little bit different, but he makes a very simple point here. That if you're actually an individual who's able to control your tongue in every way possible to where what you say every single time is perfect, I don't know that that's possible. In fact, we'll say later it is not. But if you can do that, then he would literally say you can do anything. Because that's the hardest thing to do. 
And when I said, think about your week, like I think about, I got to speak at um, the Thursday night Jen Send, like a quick night, right? And John introduced me. And one of the things he said about me is he said, Kevin's an encourager. Like that's something he preaches, preach, appreciates about me. And I thought, well, that's really kind words. Thanks, John. I appreciate that. But then I, after he said that, and I jumped back into this passage, I thought there were a couple of things I said this week that weren't encouraging. Right? Like, I might be known as an encourager, but it's really difficult to think about your week and say, man, every single thing that came out of my mouth was really perfect this week. Right? And it doesn't take much to lose it. You can be encouraging or you can be expressing truth and, and love. You can, you can say great things to your spouse. You can do great things to your kids, right? And, and the words that are coming out of your mouth are fantastic. And then something changes and anger pops up, dissension pops up, opinion pops up. And just one word can almost destroy everything that you've built. When I think about my relationships with people, so... You know, there's uh, this understanding of love languages. I don't know if anybody, everybody buys into it or not. It doesn't really matter. But obviously, it's just an attempt to say, this is how you are best loved. One of my love languages is words of affirmation. So if you have that as a love language, then words are really important to you, right? They have the power to really, like, make a difference or really just cut. Um, when you think about... Friendships that you've had, the, the relationships that maybe no longer exist, it's typically not because of action. It's typically because something was said that one or both of us can't seem to get over. You know, I, when I was growing up, there was a saying, it was sticks and stones, I break my bones with words and never hurt me. I never understood it, even as a kid. So I'm like, Honestly, I'd rather you throw rocks at me than say something that is going to stick with me forever. Right? A wound from a rock will heal. Oftentimes, words don't. And the only way to repair words is with other words. Right? And oftentimes, what we end up doing, and I think what this is saying, is we can come in and drop a word bomb we can really mess some things up. And then we leave. And even if we're convicted at times that the bond that I just dropped needs to be dealt with, we come in and we say, maybe say we're sorry, but we very rarely go in and fix them with the appropriate words. Right? Like, will you forgive me? The imagery here is fascinating because what he's saying is it's almost easier to change your actions and what you're doing with your body than it is to change your speech. And I've been processing that this week. Like, is that actually true? And I think it is. Right? Like, there's a lot of things that I can do to discipline my body or if I want to just make a change in action, I can, like, kind of will myself to do that. But by God's grace, He can give me the grace to accomplish something. I could say, okay, like I, I think of like joyful surrender. Recently we did joyful surrender and I was I gave up meat and sweet. Oof, it was rough, right? So I gave up meat and sweet and it, it, it was fine. 
like it wasn't that difficult. You kind of get into a rhythm, and you're like, okay, well, this is life for 40 days, and I'm good. There was a few temptations, but you just keep going. And, I, and I, when I think about, okay, you can get into a rhythm with that, it's really difficult to get into a rhythm with your tongue when one thing that you say can completely disrupt it all. Right? It's powerful. One of the things I want us to process as we're, we, we dive through the rest of this is, from the very beginning, words are powerful, right? God created with what? The spoken word. We have the ability to create with our words. We have the ability to destroy with our words. But God takes our words very seriously because it's what he used to create everything. I think it's one of the reasons when you look at the book of James, it's constantly talking about our speech, right? Now, I'm going to do my best. Like, I've heard this passage preached a lot, and every time I've heard it, I've always left going, uh, right? Like, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to flip this a little bit. I want you to understand, from maybe from the positive perspective, a little bit. So I'm going to try to present this as best I can, even though there's some, some things at stake here, to say, you have creative, gospel-centered opportunity with your words. And the question is, will we take it? Even in the midst of, like, difficult moments, we have a model of Jesus on the cross in what I would consider a difficult moment, using very few words to express what, Lord, forgive them for what they've done. Lord, it is finished. Declaring truth. Even in the most difficult of times, we have the opportunity to have our words and the things that are coming out of our mouth be gospel truth and creative. Right? Creative in the aspect that they can bring life. So as we go through this, I want you to kind of think of that as an opportunity. Right? Alright, here we go. Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are all so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small number, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. So we've got kind of four examples here, three really, one gets enhanced. Of just some like word pictures that help us understand the power of the tongue. This this little thing in our body that can make such an impact in the world. And the first one, obviously, is he says, "Look, when we're we're trying to train a horse, one of the first things that we do." And he, um, equine experts here will say, "You put a, a bit in the horse's mouth because wherever the mouth goes, the horse will go." your significant other, your spouse, whoever, and you're using beautiful poetry, right? 
What does your body do? Does it respond? Yes. Meanwhile, when you're encouraging someone, or you've been encouraged from words, what does it do? It encourages you to change in, in action and things. I mean, the tongue has this amazing ability to however we're speaking, however we're being spoken to, to impact action. So one of the first things, as I was processing this from a personal standpoint, is, okay, if, if I want to change in action, one of the first things that has to change is what I'm saying, right? And we see this in the gospel. Scripture says that if we will declare Jesus, then he will declare us, right? That's our phrase. There's, there's power in what we're saying, and it's not just power in impacting others, just power in impacting us. The next analogy says a ship, look at the ships also, though they are so large, they're driven by strong winds, right? Like you picture huge ships, and obviously he's talking about the technology that they had back then, right? They didn't have motors, they didn't have gasoline, they weren't able to just power through things. You look at these huge ships, I remember um, not too long ago, and I hope they bring it back, Boston did these things where like the tall ships would come into the harbor, right, from all over different countries, and you were able to walk on them and see them. And the whole harbor was just filled with these beautiful ships, sails up, and you realize how massive these things are, how many sails are up there. And the wind is the power for these things, it catches these sails and goes, but how does the ship know where to go? There's this little tiny wheel, right, that a captain turns, and it turns one of the smallest pieces of the ship, this rudder, and that is going to dictate where it's headed. It's interesting. Something so small has so much influence and power. Something so small dictates where it's going to go. He likens this to our tongue. Something so small has so much power to direct, to guide, to propel, to move, right? So also in verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And the last one, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Yes, this is... We understand it's an algae. When I was growing up, there was this thing called Smokey the Bear. I don't know if Smokey the Bear still exists. I think he ch- they changed his name at one point. They got rid of the uh, and then he was just called Smokey Bear. I don't know, some political weird thing probably removed the uh, somebody complained. I don't know. But Smokey the Bear, Smokey the Bear would say, only you can prevent forest fires, right? So was that an accurate statement? To a point. Right? Some forest fires are, are started because lightning strikes, but what they're attempting to do is say, look, you have some responsibility here. And so he would go through these, like, these were commercials, right? This was our propaganda of the day when I was growing up. Smokey the Bear would come on, he's like, if you're camping, make sure that you put out your fire, and here's how you put out a fire. If you're going to cook, this is what it looks like. And so there was kind of this education, and the idea was... We need to get people to take responsibility for the small fires they're starting because if they don't put them out correctly, then it can just become a huge forest fire that destroys so many things. Right? We, we, this makes sense to us. This last week, if you looked at the air quality in Boston, it was horrible. Like I'm from California, and I looked at the city from East Boston once, and I was like, whoa, it feels like I'm back in L.A. Right? Like, what's going on? Well, all the, for, all the fires that are coming from Canada, right? It shifted everything down here. 
New York actually shut down at one point where the mayor came on and said, don't go outside, like everything is closed because air quality is so bad. And I don't, I haven't read, I don't know exactly what started the fires in Canada, but regardless, it's going to be something small. It just takes a spark and it just gets out of control and it just keeps going, right? I mean, you can liken this to anything when it comes to words, gossip, right? It's just, do you remember growing up in that, that, uh, that game where it was called telephone where you'd whisper somebody something in somebody's ear and then they would pass it to the next person, next person, and go through a bunch of people and by the time it got to the end, every single time it was different. And I remember um, I had a friend who was just, this is just how he was, and he was like, well, if I'm going to, I don't want to pass the correct message on, I'm going to change it intentionally. And his, his thing in it was, well, see, this is showing that this doesn't really work, and my thing was actually it is showing that it works. Because it's not always just a mistake. Some people just have a heart to change what's being said and actually make it something that's not supposed to be. Right? And then the fire goes. She takes a bite of it and almost, you know, and gags and almost throws up. And then we're and then together we're like, let's get other people to take bites of this brownie. And I think in my heart I'm looking for the person that made the brownies and trying to force them to take a bite, right? But eventually we're getting all of these like I'm breaking, I'm cutting the brownie up. Like who didn't get some of this amazing brownie, right? And you can take a bite of it. And I spread this fire off of the 
this little bitty spark. And yeah, it was funny and it was, you know, it made me laugh and so on and so forth. And watching people gag all over the place. Something that looked so good caused so much trouble. Right? And, and all I had to do, all I had to say was, this brownie is so good. Like, look at it. It looks so tasty. And it's just, my words just started something massive, right? It's a great illustration of how we can, we can influence people very simply, right? But I told you that there's an opportunity here. And so I think when we look at this from a negative perspective, like, so I'm a biology major. You guys know that. That was my, my major in my undergrad. And one of the things we learned in ecology is that sometimes fire has to occur for life to keep going. Like, not all forest fires are actually just destructive, right? Now, I'm not saying we should blow up some forest fires. So don't be the bear would say, don't do that, right? But in nature, some plants require fire to actually grow. So in Northern California, we have all of these pine trees, and they produce these cones, and there's some really beautiful trees where the cones have the seeds in them, and without intense heat, the cones won't release the seeds. So... Certain kinds of forest fires actually produce the ability for this tree to reproduce and create more life, right? Which is interesting. And I'm, I'm saying that because not all fires are bad, right? Fires that are out of control are bad. Fires that are contained are bad. But some fires are great. If you're cold and you want heat, you can start a small fire in a fireplace that will produce some heat for you. If you're in love and you want something romantic, you can start a little fire and it creates some ambiance for you and a little bit of warmth, right? So if you want to have the ability to go home and cook something on my stove and I can just turn a little knob and I can click, 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 and the fire's there and I can warm up whatever it is that I want warm so that I can make something yummy to eat, right? There's opportunity here. The question is, do we take it, right? Like, we look at these three analogies. If we get to a place where we allow Scripture to bridle our tongue, how do you bridle your tongue? Well, one of the things you guys have heard me say for probably the last year over and over and over is saying, evaluate your life and currently in your life, where is the gospel not being applied effectively? It's the simplest way that I know to teach discipleship. Because all discipleship is, is applying the gospel to every area of your life on a consistent basis. And then being obedient to what it's asking you to do. That's discipleship. So in order to grow as a disciple, you have to identify the places where the gospel isn't present in your life. And we all have those places. Right? It can be in a relationship, it can be in work, it can be anything. It's those, those things where, you know, at some point you could go, man, I felt like the gospel was an aspect of that part of my life before, but it doesn't seem to be anymore, so that's an area that I need to gospel myself up so that the gospel is more present in that area of my life. Discipleship. You have an opportunity to say, okay, how do I control what's coming out of my mouth? How do I bridle my tongue? If my tongue is what leads me, just like a horse is led, and we don't want to be led by the person that's riding us, right? We want to be led by the gospel, by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. How do we actually do that? 
Well, it begins with bridling our tongue. Well, what do we do? What are the areas of our tongue that we're not gospeling ourselves through or the gospel needs to be applied? And then here's the, here's the opportunity. If, if the gospel's not bridling your tongue, where haven't you been able to go? Like, I think about that a lot. Like, I've told stories of my own failures, right, where I felt like there's a moment here where the Holy Spirit is asking me to talk to this person. And in my own head, my, the own voice that's going on, it's like, I'm busy, da 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 and I didn't do it, and I had regrets later. Right? We've all had those moments. And I think, my body didn't go there because I wasn't gospeling myself to say that's more important than what I'm going to do now. And even though the Holy Spirit was pushing me to do that, I resisted the Holy Spirit, and I think, what, what opportunity did I not get to take because I wasn't listening to what the Spirit was asking me to do? He's trying to guide me through, like, every day, right? Like, so he's directing me this way, he's directing me that way. We see it in Scripture. Paul's like, he's talking about Romans. He's like, I want to come to Rome, but the Holy Spirit keeps stopping me. I don't, we do know what that looks like, right? Like, it's not, it, it's, you, when, when you're in tune with the Spirit, you, he's guiding you, like, your steps and everything that's going on. We think of that as a bridle. We think about that as how we speak and how we speak to ourselves and what's going on, the self-talk that's happening, the, the talk that we're doing to other people and, and justifying things that maybe, I mean, I could have gotten off and said, well, here's the justification for why I didn't listen to the Holy Spirit. I was busy. I had this other meeting. Da, 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 da. Right? The words are guiding me and justifying and whatever. But what opportunities are we actually missing when we don't allow the Spirit to bridle, to put a bridle in our mouth? Think of that from the positive side, because it's opportunities like that that will help us desire change. Right? The wind's blowing. Scripture often uses the wind as an analogy for the Holy Spirit. We don't know where the wind's going to blow. It's it's our job to kind of put up the sail and go, okay, Lord, where are you asking me to go here? Where are you going to guide me? And then the wind can start moving one direction, but just like an analogy I just gave, I can take the rudder and turn the wheel and go another direction, but now I'm fighting against the wind. Like, what opportunity are we missing by fighting against the wind instead of even putting up more sails to catch it? Like, that fascinates me. Think about your week. Like, once again, I mean, conviction is a good thing, but like, what opportunities did you possibly miss because of something that you said? A harsh word in the wrong moment? Not all harsh words are bad. Jesus spoke harsh words and he never said them. But a harsh word in a wrong moment may have limited an opportunity that you have. It was like, whew, came up. something that started a forest fire, right? 
control. We're going to talk about that in a second. But maybe you have the opportunity to say something that started a fire that brought life. consumption by the fire. Right? We see that in the beginnings of the church. In the book of Acts, the apostles are accused of setting the entire city on fire with the gospel. And you go, well, that's a good fire. How did they do that? But what's coming out of their mouth? They're gospeling individuals and then people were taking that gospel and they were spreading it like fire. And that's the analogy they use. It's like it, it's consumed the city. It's a controlled fire. Why? Because it's gospel. Jesus controls it. The Holy Spirit controls it. It's not out of control. What opportunities did you have maybe this week that you didn't take that could have started a gospel fire? Or maybe you did take it. Right? And you're watching what the Lord's doing through it and you're praising Him for the opportunity to do it. And we look for those moments to say, Lord, thank you for allowing me to participate in that. And Help me to continue to serve in that, that capacity. Right? And did it right. There's a negative side of this, and we'll talk about it for a second. Verse 6 it says, The tongue is a fire in a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The opposite's true. We have the ability set a gospel fire ablaze. We also have the ability for our words to be out of the, the pits of hell and create a fire that is absolutely destructive instead of life-giving. And frankly, to, to say that you haven't done this is an absolute lie. Right? Every one of us has done this. We do it all the time. This is why we we have regret or we're convicted by it because it's just, I mean, he, he makes it very clear. It's really hard to not do this. Things pop up. Like I said, moments, anger, frustration. And we, we say something that, that sets up, the spark just catches the bush and then out of, I mean, it says that when we're doing that, we're watching what, we, what has happened, right? Like, I've always thought, man, I, I mean, can you imagine the responsibility of being the person that set the forest fire on and watched thousands of people lose their home? Where you're like, I should have missed the smoky bear, right? Like, I just, I don't, I can't imagine the weight of that. Like, that, like, that would be so devastating. 
devastating to think about. We have displaced thousands of people because I just wasn't responsible with the fire that I... Or, I mean, I'm from California, right? So a lot of fires just start because somebody's smoking a cigarette in their car and they're just flicking out the window. And this little spark sets something ablaze and you know, they, don't, they may not even know that they did it, but I mean, I gotta think like, man, okay, man, I was just there yesterday and I happened to be smoking. Was it me? Am I the one that set that ablaze right from the shooter says that we have the ability to do that with our work, we're just it's and it's and he, he doesn't use like simple, you know, encouraging terminology. He says when that happens it's from the pit of hell. And you go, Well, how do you know? Well, what is the response? Right? Oftentimes what happens is we'll say something and then we look back and we watch all of the damage that's occurring and we have to, we have like James to have to go, this is from the pit of hell. And it started here. Right? And we've all been guilty of this. Hopefully at some point it doesn't go massive, right? But and when you think about the, the, the way that the world is connected now, there's greater opportunity for both life-giving speech and speech from the pit of hell, that the fire can be gospel-controlled or the fire can be just completely out of control and destructive. It didn't used to be that way, but it is now. Everything's recorded. Right? Everything gets repeated. I mean, I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, but I am realizing, like, do you guys, uh, my phone's down here, right? And have, you guys have had to experience this. You're having a conversation in your house and it's just you and somebody else. And you open your Instagram or your Facebook, and what is it? It's advertisements about what you just talked about. And you're like, whoa. Big Brother's listening, right? Like somebody's listening. And, you know, oh, it's marketing. We want to make sure that whatever it is. But right now, is this is almost more important than it's ever been because what you say is being heard by people you don't even know it's being heard by. Which means there's almost more of a responsibility to make sure that what's coming out of our mouth is gospel-driven. Right? For every kind of beast, verse 7, bird, a reptile, and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, well, it's not there. It's a restless evil with deadly poison. So he's using another analogy to express the difficulty of the mistakes that can occur. This it can be a wildfire. It can be poison. You can say something that just literally like poisons someone. What does poison do? It it, it kills them, right? the most. Right? So the people that you're closest to, and I'm walking down the street and somebody yells out, Kevin, you're a punk. That doesn't really impact me. Right? And maybe true, may not be, but they don't know me. Right? But when somebody really close to me says it, that has the ability to cut because they know me. Right? And somebody that really knows me, I mean, you hurt the ones that you're close to the most because their words mean the most to you. It can become like poison. Verbal abuse is a thing. Right? You don't have to physically abuse anyone. You can be in 
relationship where you're just so verbally abused that you're just, you're getting poison, 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 poison. You know, I, I've always wondered, like, how is it that people stay in, like, these abusive relationships and not speak up or not do something? And anymore, it's men and women. staying in that, what I realize is when you're given poison and it becomes normal, that's all you know. So you just keep consuming it. You know, it's similar to sin. I mean, sin is sin is deceptive. But the, the, the most difficult thing about sin is that it's constantly deceiving us when we believe we can control it. We believe that it's only something small. But when you're, if sin is deceptive, then how do you know when you're being deceived? Our words have the ability to create poison. Verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and the Father with which, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God from the same mouth to blessing and curse. I really believe that this has got to be at the heart of, like, you want to classify sins here, but God's going to hate this. Right? Knowing I've given you the gift of speech, and you show up on Sunday morning, and you sing songs out of your mouth with everything in you that glorify me and declare truth, and then you turn around and say how much you hate the people group. Out of the same mouth. Like, we used to say, man, you talk to your, you talk to your mother with that dirty mouth, right? Like, wherever it is. But I think James is making a really important distinctive here. He's saying, how do you go from worshiping the Father with your mouth to putting down other people who are created, that He created? And how does that work? It shouldn't work, right? It, there should be some kind of programming that goes on inside of us that goes, I just spoke out loud these praises to my father, and then in the next minute I am spewing poison. The question is, which one do we really believe? Which one is really us? declare a hate for people 
when you declare hate for a specific group of people, when the prejudices that are there, when you declaim, it doesn't even just have to be that. It can be a loyalty to something other than God out loud. It can be whatever idol that we're struggling with at the moment. When we declare that out, we realize that in the same mouth we're declaring loyalty or hate or sin or whatever it is to something else, and then we're showing up on Sunday to declare out of the same mouth the praises to Jesus. a little bit. Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Question mark. The answer is no. Right? No. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Question mark. The answer is no. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So, the mirror. Talk about the mirror. Right? This is the mirror moment. What's coming out of our mouth is constantly ungospeled. Then the question might be, are you really gospeled? Right? From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's truly going on in here is what comes out here. I think especially in the American church is it is really really easy to compartmentalize our lives and go on Sunday I can compartmentalize myself into a frenzy of worship. I can get excited about the music that I hear. I can get excited about getting into the scripture. I I can even feel convicted and and say okay that's going to impact my life. Uh, I can put myself in this box to go, this is what my expectations are when I go to church and fellowship with people. I can talk kind to people. I can I can engage people. I can shake their hands. I can look them in the eye. I can tell them how amazing they look as they're dressed up. But then when I walk out and I'm living Monday through Saturday, what's actually coming out of my mouth? likely a fire, but what kind of fire? And these are the things that I think when our mirror is put in front of us that we really have to evaluate. Because what's coming out of our mouth on a regular basis is not gospel. There's an issue. Because a true fig tree produces what? Figs. So, from a gospel perspective, I mean, you may be completely, you may be completely um, unfruitful, right? That's, a, that's, that's not what we're talking about. You may say nothing. You, 
that's, that's a different problem. But if you claim to be a victory, if you claim to know Christ, you claim to be His, then one of the things that should be in your part of your sanctification process is the words that are coming out of your mouth should be fig-like on a constant basis. Meaning, in our sanctification process, there's more figs than anything else. If there's more peaches, then we have a problem. And James would say, this isn't how it works. Because we get back to the gospel. Jesus never said anything that wasn't truth and love. He never said anything to deceive anyone. We gotta get this in our head. I mean, there's definitely a, a relation where people go, like, oh, I have this weird image of God, and, and even as a Christ follower, I'm like, what is God's will for my life? And I, every time somebody asks me that, I'm like, why do you think it's a secret? Determining God's will for your life is not that difficult. We just make it difficult because what He wants us to do, we don't want to do. What is God's will for your life? Wake up in the morning, glorify Jesus. It's that simple. What is God's will for our life the way that we speak? Wake up in the morning, glorify Jesus with what you say. What is His will for how you impact others with your speech? Should be gospel. Right? Should be coming from the heart of, of gospel. It, 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 it doesn't mean that it's not firm. It doesn't mean that you don't say something hard to someone. But what it does mean is that it should leave people convicted, encouraged, and feeling loved. Because Jesus did that every single time. And if it's not, then it's not gospel. So how do you do it in this area? So I'm going to give you a second. I want you to think about your week again. From this perspective. Think about what you said and who you said it to. Think about the self-talk that was going on in your head. Not all speech is verbalized. We talk to ourselves constantly. What are you saying about yourself? Is it gospel? If you're, you're constantly walking around going, ah, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, then you're not being gospeled. There's no condemnation in Jesus. Jesus says, yes, there's some changes that need to happen, but you're, you're loved. You're valuable. I created you. Your purpose in Christ. What's the self-talk that's going on? I'm going to go cycle, uh, psychological here, but I will say this. I have, in my years of being a pastor and counseling people, realized that if there's a very, very, strong connection between the self-talk that goes on in somebody's head and the words that come out of their mouth. From a practical standpoint, I would say, if you're an individual who is constantly starting fires that you shouldn't start, it's literally coming from the pits of hell. You say something, you look at them, you're like, I don't even understand why they don't understand this. You need to go back here. One of the first places you can go is what is the self-talk that's going on in your head? Is that gospeled? 
it might be wise to go, I need to not speak until that stock is healthy in Christ. And then we get back to the beginning. This is why many shouldn't teach. Right? The responsibilities lie. So what's the self-talk going on in your head? It's a gospel. What's the talk that's coming in your mouth? It's a gospel. Where is it not? For those of you who are here and you're like, man, I think about the things that come out of my mouth and the destruction that seems to constantly follow me. And I want to make a change in that. And you don't know Christ. It begins with a relationship with Him. You can't change your own self-talk. Jesus has to change it for you. The world won't change it for you because the world is going to do everything it can to keep pushing you down and encouraging you to do that which would destroy you. And we all know this. But Jesus steps in and he'll say, No. I care about you. I, I died so you don't have to constantly be in this pit of destruction. He moves you from darkness to light, from death to life. It's, that's where it has to begin. So if that's you, you're here and you're like, man, I, I want this change in my life. Like, I don't want to keep making the same mistakes over and over. You don't know who Jesus is. It begins with a relationship with him. But I encourage you you can go talk to me if you want to turn to the person next to you and say, do you know Jesus? If they say yes, say, can we go get some coffee? I have questions. For the church, I think this is probably one of the most impactful things that as a church body, especially living in a city like Boston, that we can hear. You realize that in a city like Boston, you are being judged by every single thing that you say. so watched. I, I, I say all the time, the greatest, the greatest response to the world about the church is that we're hypocrites. And I will argue that every single person on the planet is a hypocrite. We don't live like we say, but shouldn't Christ followers be better at it? Shouldn't we be the ones that are like, mistakes made, how do you put out the forest fire? Well, you use your words and those are gospel. You take responsibility, you own it, you ask for forgiveness, and then you proclaim the truths of Jesus that that doesn't define you forever and you move forward in Christ. Even how we handle the mistakes of our words dictate what we believe in who we are, what needs to change. So I give you a moment. The band's going to come up sing a song. The communion elements are here. If you are not a member of Church of the Well, you are still invited to participate in communion. If you don't know Christ, listen to me real quick. If you don't know Christ, I'm just going to ask that you abstain from taking communion. I don't want you leaving here with a false hope that, oh, I did something religious so that Jesus is happy with me. It's not what this is about. This is a symbolic act that allows Christ followers to be reminded that if we're going to see change in our life, it's going to come from the basis of what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection. It's not going to change you. If that's you and you're wanting to respond, a better response would be, let's have a conversation. Right? Or have a conversation with the person next to you. But this is an opportunity to be to process what the Holy Spirit has said to you, 
remember that the change takes place at the foot of the cross. Maybe to repent if you need to. Maybe to be encouraged how you need to be encouraged. To ask the Holy Spirit what He's asking you to do and what changes need to be made and how you're responding to this. But don't leave here the same. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, it's always hard, but just like everything in Christ, it's all about opportunities that we have to make a gospel difference. Lord, I pray that we would see it.